Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin. Welcome to the Skywatcher What's Up webcast. And uh, thanks for being here. Uh, we do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Uh, we talk about everything from what's up in the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks. And of course, the last uh, episode of the month, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. Uh, if you like what you see here, please subscribe to the channel. It lets us know we're doing a good job and that you want us to keep doing it. And you can also leave a like on any of the videos. Um, all these are recorded, so if you ever miss an episode or if there's a, a piece of information you want to go back and check out, you can always go back into our uh, library there and uh, check out any episodes that we've done before. So today's kind of a special episode. We're talking about power, particularly for imaging systems. It's something uh, that comes up an awful lot, especially as someone who's done tech support for many years, and as imaging has gotten more and more popular, it's, uh, it's become an issue. Uh, there's a lot of ways to power equipment, and there's a lot of easy ways to damage equipment. So we thought it'd be really good to do an episode uh, in depth on the best ways to uh, address these issues. But I unfortunately am not the one you want to talk to. So today we have our good friend Simon Tang, the stupid astronomer is his tag on Instagram if you want to go over and check out all of his awesome imaging work. Um, so Simon is joining us today and he will be our presenter. I'll just be hanging out. Um, so good morning, Simon. How are you? I am good. It's uh, nice and sunny here in Southern California. Uh, it's still actually relatively cold, but all is good same here in arizona so i mean we're we're only about 400 miles away from each other so it's not that big of a difference but um yeah so i'm gonna pretty much just hand it off to you because you've prepared the presentation for today and you are the specialist when it comes to this stuff um so because of how everything is kind of formatted with uh zoom and what have you um i'm gonna hand simon the controls uh, you won't see our talking heads. We'll just be kind of these background uh, things. And if you have any questions, we will all keep an eye on that. And we'll uh, try to answer it when we can. So, Simon, I think you have uh, control to do the screen sharing. All right. So, let's start this. All so right. Hopefully, you guys can see the great big screen. Yes. Everything is uh, good to go. Okay, great. All right. Alright, so let's just do the introduction. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, my name is Simon. I am the stupid astronomer because I do the stupid things so you don't have to. That includes being electrocuted in this particular case. So the reason why we wanted to talk about power and USB specifically is it seems to be one of these um, things that don't get covered very often or very well for that matter. So I put together a very quick presentation um, so we're going to have more time for Q&A at the end of this because I know you guys are probably going to have a thousand questions that we'll try and do our best to answer. So let's get started. Let's look at AC adapters in general, first of all. Um, a lot of the times you'll get these AC adapters and they're kind of confusing. You have no idea what the numbers actually mean, let alone the plugs or the actual connectors. So let's have a look at some of these numbers to start off with. If you look on the back of any AC adapter or the front, you'll notice that they always print the input value and the output value. The one that we are most concerned about is the output value. And notice it will say 12 volts, 5 amps. The idea here is, is when you're plugging something into uh, DC power, it must have the correct output voltage. Now the same thing can be seen on batteries. So if you buy what we refer to as toy batteries, they're not the same as car batteries. They're slightly different. Uh, they still have a positive and negative terminal, but the chemistry is slightly different and the usage is also different. But let's look at the actual labeling on the side of these batteries real quick. Notice what this actually says. Standby usage, cycle usage, and the different types of voltage and how much they vary by, and the actual current that they can actually provide on the first turn so think of it this way when you first turn your mount on it's going to give you x amount in its initial current and then it will drop down to whatever it's supposed to be now remember this part very very um, clearly it's the initial current when you first turn your mount on now remember one other thing is 
amps is always peak power so always assume that it's operating at one half okay some batteries will also have other things printed on the side of them 12 volt 12 amp hours or 20 hr i forgot what the hr stands for but i mainly just uh, deal with 12 uh, amp hours what it means is it's going to provide you 12 volts and if you're consuming one amp hour it'll last for 12 hours so that's how you would work it out if your uh, device takes two amp hours total then you'll only have six hours of runtime so again if that's not clear we can go into the question and answer section and i'll explain that one a little bit more because i need to move on car batteries this actually is probably my number one pet peeve do not use car batteries and the reason why is because of this number initial current remember a car battery is designed to start a car in fact we refer to um, car batteries as sli start light and ignite just by saying that alone should kind of give it away car batteries are actually designed for short high energy discharge and can accidentally deliver more amps than allowed so when you see on a car battery 650 cranking amps remember when you turn your mount on for the first time there is a chance that it's going to want to pull way more amperage than it really needs remember that phrase initial current hey simon i don't mean to interrupt you um i don't know just to for layman stuff sure. uh do you want to tell them the difference between you know amps volts and stuff like that for those who might not be as aware of electrical uh, oh, measurements? um yeah i probably should cover that uh real quick i don't actually have a slide for it um try to think of an easy because i didn't actually think about doing the presentation without making it simple so easiest way to explain this is voltage um is what's uh give me a second let me come back to that because i have to actually think about when i say all of this because uh i've got my old cue sheet here so do you mind if i come back to that in a second yeah and it's your presentation but it might be something for those of us who because you know too many volts will blow things up and too many amps isn't a big deal well i was so. going to say there is there is another part of this that gets complicated because of ac power which is watts um your voltage can change but and the amperage can change but the wattage stays the same um th there's a couple of examples that i can give but i'll show you that in the end otherwise i'll lose my place uh so speaking of losing place where did i get to oh the battery that's right so car battery um yeah so can accidentally deliver more amps than actually allowed so like i just said if you've got something that has uh, a car battery that's a 650 cranking amps if you turn your mount on there is a chance that it will pull more amps than it really should do so going back to what i was saying initial current which is basically anything below this number now moving on this is why we use uh power regulation boxes of some description or you should use some kind of power regulation so Celestron actually has a particular device that allows you to plug in your 12 volt power source and then distribute that power out to all your different devices. The idea behind this is you can actually control how many volts is being sent out and how good that actual voltage actually is. So think of it this way. Electricity can come as clean power or dirty power. What I mean by dirty power is it actually fluctuates. So your voltage can go up and down. Now, if a mount is actually using 12 volts and the voltage starts to go up and starts to drop, it'll start to pull more amps. When it does that, there's a chance that it can also damage your components. So using one of these power box helps regulate the power that goes to all of your other devices. So think of it as the power box as your first line of defense to prevent you from blowing anything up. In some cases, uh, you have to double check on the manufacturer and how good these power distribution boxes are, if they have internal fusing, if they're using shared ICs as we refer to them, so integrated controller. Um, a lot of people who do these power boxes will use one individual um, IC or integrated circuit to control four different ports 
ideally you want something that has one IC that controls two ports and so forth and so on. In other words, you don't want one IC controlling four because it's doing far too much work and it can easily slip up, would be the best way to say it. Another alternative is to use these power stations. We've all seen these. Uh, one of the ones that uh, started to become incredibly popular is the EcoFlow. There's others like Jackery, uh, Goal Zero, and so forth and so on. These are basically power or portable power stations or power generators that operate off of battery. And the reason why these are so popular is they give you so many different types of power outs from AC to DC all the way down to the cigarette plug or a 2.5 or a 2.1 millimeter center pin positive jack. Again, these are all regulated power. So I'm gonna give you an example of connecting these power stations to your mount. Ideally, you should always be using DC. Reason being here is your mount is actually a DC device, a direct current device. So the idea here is to use a power source that is direct current going to this. You don't want to try and use an AC plug in a DC situation, then going back to DC to deliver the power to the mount. It just doesn't make any sense. So it would make better sense to use DC going directly to the mount as opposed to DC going to AC and then back to DC to power the mount. I've seen so often that people bring out these power inverters and batteries and then they whip out their AC power adapter and then they pull the, the DC cord and plug it into the AC adapter and into the mount in between all of this mess. I'm like, why are you doing that? You can just connect straight to this using this method and go straight to the mount and you'll be done with it. It's actually a lot easier and it's way more efficient. Here's one of the fun things that you should look at, grounding. Um, one of the biggest problems that we have is understanding uh, what happens with the ground. With DC, as in direct current, you only have two wires in general, uh, basically the positive and the negative. Now the negative wire is considered your ground, so you have to make sure that that connects back to the negative terminal of the battery. If you're using these power stations and things like that, the chances are this wiring has already been done for you. One of the most common things that I've seen is when people use car batteries, they use crocodile clips, one connected to the, the uh, positive terminal and the one connected to the negative, and then they plug their mount in and they wonder why things don't work sometimes. Well, the chances are the negative terminal on the actual car battery isn't actually connected properly or you actually have a loose cable which can cause a short. Now another thing to also consider is when you're using AC. A lot of people um, use power supplies that only have two prongs. So if I go back to the beginning, you'll see down here, there's only two prongs, which means that this particular power supply has no ground protection to it. Whereas a power supply like this, as you can see, has three prongs, and there is an actual ground, uh, there's an actual ground protection. What this basically does is, if you actually have some kind of a fault, it'll send the electricity down this ground fault and then move it away from whatever your electronic device is. So that is a bit of a, um, a loose explanation of the entire thing. If you don't have this, the chances are somewhere in your circuit, if you have a neutral that is not going the right place, it has no way to escape. So you end up with this extra ground loop running around your system, which can blow things up. So I think Kevin has had an experience before in the past where the AC power that he was using in uh, one particular situation had a ground loop fault and then ended up blowing things up. Yeah, we at our observatory there, we I'm not sure exactly how it happened because I'm not on site for that, but we did have a, a ground loop go through the system. Um, it damaged the paramount motor board. It damaged the uh, camera board. It welded the power uh, cable onto the motor, damaged the motor. It was a mess. And um, all that now has been uh, redone with a lot more advanced uh, power management. Um, but uh, there was a comment here, Simon, on 
some of the stuff you were talking about, uh, someone didn't agree with it, but he was saying the mount will only draw current it needs and the battery can't change this, which should be, that's obviously correct. But if voltage goes too low, um, you are liable to damage your, your mount. Yes. So um, I, I've heard that one quite a few times. Yes. If you actually have, let's just say you have 10 amps being provided uh, from a power supply and your mount only uses, say, 2 amps, then yes, it'll only pull 2 amps. Now, here's the problem behind that. In a situation with, like, say, a car battery, let's just say that it cannot provide you the 12 volts for argument's sake, but your mount still wants to go. It's now going to try and pull more amperage to make up the watts in order to actually power the actual thing. So now more amperage passes through at, say, below 12 volts, we'll say 11 volts for argument's sake, and then what will happen here is, is if it hits something that cannot handle the higher amperage, it will break. Um, one of the things that we've come across when we've been fixing mounts, at least in Skywatcher, is a lot of the boards have some kind of weird power damage to them, and we're finding that there are too many amps passing through the actual boards because of this low voltage. Now, bearing in mind, these Skywatcher mounts that um, they, they're producing, they can operate between, say, 9 all the way up to 16 volts. However, it prefers to have 12 volts. So that's why you can actually end up pulling more amperage than you actually need if your voltage is too low. So that's why, yes, I do agree that it will only pull what it needs. However, when your voltage starts fluctuating, that's when the problems start occurring. I hope that answers that. Um, yep. Going back to the point that I've been uh, reiterating, it says try not to use AC adapters with DC inverters. Um, the reason behind that is it's just incredibly inefficient. And at the same time, we come back to this other problem. You can actually get a ground fault with these uh, AC adapters and these DC inverters purely because we have a third prong that is no longer actually grounded to anything. So if you have another source of power coming in from somewhere that you haven't accounted for, this will actually work itself into the system and then overload it. So that's why we actually have to have this actual ground protection. So here's a big uh, little summary of what we need to look at. Sorry, my cat's about to jump off on the table and I know what she's doing. There she is. So you'll see her in a second. So first thing is first, uh, let's check the voltage requirement. How much voltage does it provide? Is this continuous or peak performance? And how long will it last? These are probably the four biggest points that you want to look into when uh, powering or getting a battery or any type of thing to actually provide uh, power. And wow, did I spell performance wrong? Okay, we'll ignore that one. <laughs> All right, so the next thing I'm going to move on to is... Actually, let's do a quick Q&A uh, real quick for just power specifically before I move on to this, because I've got a feeling people are going to ask questions like I wouldn't believe it. Um, not a lot floating there right now. There's one... Um, so the... The mount will only draw the current it needs was coming from after you were talking to about the car batteries. Mm -hmm. So that's where that one spurred from. Um, and then the other comment is uh, amps is the rating of deliverable load support, so to speak. Um, available headroom, not actual output. Uh, say that again, sorry. Uh, amps is a rating of deliverable load support, so to speak. Um an example, available headroom, uh, not actual output. But uh... Oh, yeah, okay, sorry. I think I'm um, understanding what they're referring to. So, yeah, when you look at a, uh, a power supply, um, when it says 5 amps, it can provide you up to 5 amps. In other words, its peak performance is 5 amps. In reality, it probably only gives you, say, 2.5 amps sustained or continuous usage. So this is another thing that uh, you kind of have to be careful with when you're buying these power supplies, because more often than not, let's just say I'm buying like a higher end 10 amp power supply. 
The thing is though, if I actually need to have 10 amp hours continuous, you have to double check on the actual uh, product and see, see, is it giving me 10 amps continuous or 10 amps peak? So if it's 10 amps peak, it can run up to 10 amps, but not for very long. And in fact, let's just say you pull it uh, 10 amps for an hour, which is kind of unrealistic. Your power supply would get incredibly hot because it was never designed to actually give you that level of performance. So over time, it will just simply just burn itself out because the components are not designed for that higher amperage. It'll give you that in peak performance if you need it for just a brief moment, but that's it. There was a comment here as well um, about like power stations and stuff like that. I don't know if you have those further down the presentation, like power boxes and stuff. So I don't oh. want to jump ahead of you. Oh, I'm, um, yeah, I'm not going to. Uh, well, I'm going to be going into USB next, but I'm not going to really give any recommendations on different types of power boxes and things like that, purely because it's dependent on the situation. So if you have a specific type of setup one power box may not be suitable for a different setup. So if I just give you one generic one, we'll say the Celestron one uh, for argument's sake, that may be fine if you're doing small setups, but if you're doing something like a professional observatory style setup, is it the right thing? Probably not. Uh, he was asking about a CM26 and a ASI Air Plus and a 183 MC Pro. He was looking at the Yeti 200X. Um, but um, really, when you're looking at a battery for, you know, any kind of field power, um, you kind of have to look at everything as a whole. Like most of the stuff in astronomy runs off of 12 volts. So obviously you want that. But you also want to the big thing you want to pay attention to is the amperage um, as well. And this is where I've seen people get into trouble um, with some of like these little piggyback power boxes as they'll want to run the mount and their camera and a controller and all this stuff and they see that they have you know 10 amps to work with so what they do is they plug all this stuff in and then they wonder why something doesn't work and that's because they've maxed out um, the amperage uh, levels for whatever that product is so especially when you throw like a dew heater or a mount into the mix you know most mounts like our eq6r they pull five amps when they need to um dew heaters pull a ton of power so you can max out these little power supplies very quickly so you generally want something that's going to give you a fair amount of amps to back you up but you kind of need to figure out out of all your gear that you're running how many amps do those pull when they're just running so hopefully that helps I mean, if you're buying any of these types of um, power stations, you do not need to get this part here, which is the actual uh, power box. This is really if you have a direct DC source, e.g. from uh, one of these smaller batteries like this. Again, I keep telling people, please do not use car batteries. That's not what they're designed for. Um, again, if you guys have a bit of time, look up a reference known as SLI batteries. They stand for Start, Light and Ignite. There is a reason why they're called this particular thing. Again, they're designed... Cat, stop it. They're designed for short, high-energy discharge, whereas regular batteries like this are designed for low-energy discharge. So slow and steady as opposed to fast and furious. Nothing to do with the cars. And someone did make another comment on um, a car battery. You should always have an inline fuse um, on your positive. Um and that's probably important when you're using, and I've seen people get into trouble with this too, where it's like, oh, I'm using alligator clips or, oh, I made my own cable or blah, 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 blah. Um, when we sell a mount, you get a DC power supply um, and inside there, there's a fuse, which is kind of your insurance policy. Um, if you get some kind of surge, the fuse breaks and you replace the fuse rather than a $200 board. Um, so that's something for those of you who want to engineer your own cables or alligator clips do whatever you want it's your your hardware but there are some insurance policies that you can put in the chain to make sure you're not going to damage your hardware what are your oh real quick simon before we yeah, jump yeah. in Carry um on. uh what about deep cycle rv marine 
um, batteries. Those are absolutely fine uh, because they're actually designed for lower discharge rates. So deep cycle and marine batteries are pretty much the same thing, uh, or AGM cell batteries. They're designed to release energy slowly. Again, uh, if, they, if you buy a battery that says cold cranking amps, I've forgotten what the acronym would be, uh, just steer clear from those things. Even lawnmower batteries are not really the right types because they're designed to give a high energy discharge at the very, very beginning. Yeah. Um, okay, just a lot of comments at the moment. So, okay, that's good. Uh, yeah, go. We'll get back to Q and A later. Um, so if you guys have any questions, throw them in the chat. We'll get to them. I know this is kind of a complex subject, and uh, but yeah, uh, yeah I'll let this Simon is, this carry is, on. This is actually a short presentation because I did want to give more time for Q and A because it's one of these open discussion type things. Because that's the fun behind this. All right uh usbs okay so usbs real from fake uh this is actually quite a fun one this is um one of my personal favorites because we all sit there and go on amazon or places like monoprice and buy thousands and thousands of usb cables for all different types and purposes but the ones that i'm referring to specifically for now is usb3 a lot of the times that's when you buy these USB 3 cables from gas stations or Amazon or whoever, well, you go for the one that basically costs the less or the least. Uh, the problem with that is there's a high chance that that cable is actually fake. In other words, what you're really buying is a USB 2 cable. So for all of you who have got these USB 3 cables lying around on your desk, um, I dare you to pick some of them up and look inside them. So you might have to turn your flashlight on and look inside of the actual pin configuration. So where you actually plug it into the computer, you will see four pins at the very front and five pins at the very back. That's actually the tell if you've actually got a USB 3 uh, cable of some description. The next big tell is the thickness of the cable. Now remember, if I've got nine pins, that means there must be nine wires running through. If you compare that with USB 2 that only has four pins, well, logic would dictate there's only four wires running through. In some cases, there's actually only two if they're just using them to power something. So you can get USB cables that do nothing but provide power, namely your cell phone. They only have two cables inside of them. The other thing that I always look for is, is there any printing on the wires themselves or the actual cord itself? And the fun one is, does the USB logo look funny, specifically the SS logo? So let's have a look at that, shall we? One of these is actually fake, believe it or not. And you can tell just by the logo. If you look at the one on the left, that's a real one. See the S is a lot thicker than the one on the right, which is actually looking very, very skinny. Now, I took this picture from a website and started to check out that cable. And I noticed that even the photo that they use shows the fake cable. I'm not gonna name the site. And of course, when you look inside, you can actually see if there are any extra prongs. So the one on the top is the fake, the one on the bottom is the real one. Now, both of them have the, you know, the telltale blue mark that if you see the blue mark, it must be a USB 3, but spend some time and look inside of the actual cable and double check to see if it is actually a USB 3 uh, cable for real. Here's a close up of that particular logo just so you can kind of see it. Um, if you, can you see my mouse icon or cursor? I don't know if you guys yep. can. Yep, so you can see there. that the S just is, doesn't look right and it's very, very skinny. The other thing about USB 3 cables is they usually have this little indentations and they've actually gone through the aggravation of adding this indentation. So in some cases, if you actually have the time, cut one of these cables open if you suspect that it's not working. And if you count four cables, then you know you've got a fake. And that is one of the most common things that actually happens. So let's have a look at the actual cable itself. Now, just so you understand, to buy one of these cable printers, it costs around about twenty to $30,000 to buy just the actual printer. 
I haven't even included the ink yet. So think of it this way. If somebody is going to sit there and spend all that money on buying one of these printers to make a fake cable, well, they've just bumped up the cost of their cable when they could have just done the cable the correct way in the first place. So you'll see these cables that have all of this text on there, and you're probably wondering, it doesn't mean anything to you. Well, it does mean something because it indicates if the cable is going to be real or not. Again, yes, there are some people that will print some of these, but you have to look at the whole picture. One of the things that I tell people to stay away from is when they're buying uh, fancy cables is do not buy braided cables. Braided cables are the ones with the fabrics on them. Reason being is they're actually using them to cover up the fact that their cable is actually a fake and it feels like you're getting value for money. So in other words, it's actually cheaper to produce a braided cable with only four wires running in it as it would be to use a real USB 3 style cable with nine wires running through it. It actually costs less to do the braided one, believe it or not. Now, one other thing that um, drives people insane is the actual maximum length. These are the true maximum lengths of any USB cable. So USB 2 is 16.4 feet. USB 3, 3.1 generation one is 6.6. .6 whereas Gen 2 is only 3.3 feet. Now, I know some of you are probably going to turn around and say, oh, hold on a second. I've got cables that can run way longer than that, and I get full speed out of those. Well, the chances are those are what we refer to as active uh, cables. So something like this, for example. The one on the left um, is extended up to, I think it's like 98 feet. It's some ridiculous amount. And the way that that particular one works is it actually has a repeater that you actually have to plug in with power. Uh, essentially, what this turns this cable into is a USB port, uh, sorry, a USB hub of some description, but it only just has one port. The one on the right has a, an active repeater that's built into the cable at some point. And these basically pull the power from the 12 volt or the 5 volt line from the USB to repeat the actual signal. Uh, they tend to be limited in the actual run, so you can get them from around about, say, 16 feet, 20 feet, and so forth up. Once you get past a certain length, you actually have to have one of these powered units to actually repeat the signal. So hopefully... Um, that gives you a clearer idea about spotting fake USB cables and basically using the right type because the most important part at the end of the day is the maximum length of these cables. Again, once you exceed these lengths, the chance of them working correctly is unlikely. And on top of that, do you also have a fake cable because those also affect performance. All right, so... We've got 30 minutes. I thought we'd open up this for the Q&A. I know there is a slight delay with the stream, so we will wait for the questions to come in. Uh, and then we'll just open this up for questions because that's the, the whole idea of this. Yeah, so there are a couple questions in here. Uh, we'll st if you've got them, throw them in the chat and we'll, we'll get to them. Uh, the first one is uh, different types of battery. Um, Lie F. EPO, NMC, lithium. Uh... Oh, battery chemistry. Yes. Um, where's the best way to start? All the different types of chemistry actually determine how well these batteries can cycle. In other words, how many times can you recharge them before they are considered no good? So depending on the type of chemistry... Uh, they actually have different performance values as well. So the most common that we probably see right now is nickel metal hydride. So if you get those little AA batteries um, that you buy from the store that are rechargeable, chances are they're nickel metal hydride. They're the cheapest to produce. They retain power, but they have a very, very short lifespan. So in other words, if I say charge them 20 to 50 times, the cell starts to drop in capacity. So you'll go from 100% down to 80% and so forth down. Once they hit 50, they're considered useless. Uh, they just don't hold a charge very uh, very well. Whereas, say, something like a, a lithium-based technology, uh, and this is why somebody like uh, Elon Musk is so interested in that, is because it's got this fantastic ability to retain 
where the charge is. It can actually tell you what's going on. It tells you how much charge it can actually hold and what the voltage actually is. And the idea behind all of this is so you as the consumer are informed of the life of this battery. So if you buy any lithium style battery, there's usually a, a tester or a button or some kind of indication that shows how much power it has. And on top of that, if you have a fancy DSLR camera uh, and you plug one of these batteries in, not only does it tell you how much battery power you got left, it tells you the life cycle that it has left in them. Now, some people do it better than others. Some say just good, okay, and bad. Uh, and then some actually say a percentage of the actual lifespan. Again, all this is just showing you is how many more cycles or recharge cycles does it have? So the more modern chemistry that we use in the batteries tend to have higher cycle times uh, and can be charged multiple times. Usually with like the lead acid based ones, it's best that you discharge the battery and charge them up all the way. It's actually bad to say, I don't know, drop your battery down to 80% and then go and recharge it to get it back to 100%. That's actually really bad for uh, lead acid batteries. Um, yeah, lead acid batteries, the cheap ones that are on the market, are enticing. I've seen a lot of beginners go with those batteries because they're available from several manufacturers, but they also die really quickly. So these new um, lithium-based batteries like the Celestron Power Tank Lithium Pros and other things that are on the market, while more expensive, it's a lot longer lifespan. So it's worth the investment to go with batteries like that because you're not going to go a year and then your lead acid is going to die and you have to replace the battery with something else. Just invest in a good battery. Yeah. It's the same situation with most car batteries. Usually they're, they're, they're toast within a year, year and a half. Um, you get a couple of companies that may give you a three year warranty, but it's seriously, it is not worth the paper it's written on. So in general, this is why I always shy away from, um, from lead acid batteries or car batteries specifically because of all the other problems that I've mentioned before. Oh. Uh, um, next question. Is there a way of using a dummy battery with a DSLR without it heating up uh, like you normally find when using uh, long exposures on a DSLR where the sensor gets hot? Um, actually, there is. It actually depends on who makes your dummy battery adapter. Um, this is actually a common problem going into... The, the photographic world, Canon and Nikon actually have their own official versions of their dummy batteries. If you look very, very carefully at that particular unit, you'll notice that they have this small thing called a buck converter. I wish I had one lying around to show you guys, but it's actually nothing more than a voltage regulator. What it does is it takes 10, uh, sorry, 12 volts and drops it down to 8.4 specifically if you're using Canon. Uh, and then runs it into that little dummy battery thing. The actual dummy battery, you do not want to have the voltage regulator inside of because that's where the heat comes from. So if it's external, then the heat builds up on the external block and dissipates from that because that's exactly what it's designed to do. So if you're using a third party uh, company, double check how they actually convert the 12 volts down to 8.4. It doesn't matter if it comes from an AC source or not, because the AC source goes and converts to DC, gives you 12 volts, but there has to be a buck converter somewhere that converts 12 volts down to 8.4. Again, you want that external. You do not want it inside of these dummy batteries. A lot of companies will try and be smart and clever by saving space, time, and effort by building it into these things. They'll get really, really hot really fast. Now, the, the other part of it here is if you find, if you have, let's just say you have a genuine Canon one and you're using your 5D Mark IV and you plug all this stuff in, but your camera starts getting really hot, the chances are it's not actually the camera that's heating up from the battery, it's actually your sensor heating up for being turned on for so long. So the best way to actually handle that is to have some kind of a cooling fan uh, on the camera anything will help uh, even if you've got a small desk fan or if you're that bored you could hold one up to it anything helps nice 
Um, if using a powered USB hub, should I place it closest to the laptop or closest to the camera? Uh, powered hubs uh, make no difference what end they go to, believe it or not, because the signal is going to be repeated at some point. As long as you do not exceed the maximum length of any of the cables that you're using. So regardless of where it goes, uh, if your cable itself is, the, is going to be the limitation. Does that make sense? Uh, I think so. I think we'll see if the comments pop up here. Um, have you ever used a USB RJ45 extension adapter? Uh, yeah, okay. I, I, I've actually these, are, had... these are a little messy yeah. to work with. The, okay, um, I'm going to tell most people don't use those things. Um, just purely because that's not really what they're designed for. Think of it this way. For every time you hit a connector, um, or, uh, an actual connection. So let's just say I've got this wire that connects into, say, a hub, which I can't pull out because it's uh, kind of short. Actually, we'll just do this one. We'll just pretend that this is a hub. Every time I have a connection, okay, I lose distance. So we'll say one feet every time we do that. The more connections that we have, the more distance, uh, the, the lower the signal will become. But here's the problem. We've just gone from the connector of the laptop into another connector, which is this RJ45 thing that then runs off. We've actually just lost distance and power already from that. You run your length and then you get to the other end and then we convert it all back to, say, another USB socket of some description, and we've lost all that length. All you've essentially done is taken one type of cable and replaced it for another. It doesn't suddenly magically increase the amplification or any of that kind of stuff. And I've seen people do this, where they get these USB boxes, get an RJ45 uh, connector, power that box, and then run these cables. And then by the time they've done all of that, I just say to them, it's like, you could have just bought an active cable that is does exactly the same thing and you didn't have to connect all these weird doohickeys everywhere. It, it's All you're doing is replacing one cable for another. That's all you're doing. Yeah, the if you're trying to go long distances, one of the easiest ways to do it is a remote desktop. So if you can do that but computers are getting so cheap now to where you know if you're using an asi air or something like that you can get around you know various things i know that's not the answer for everyone and it gets expensive but i uh, i know the rj45 extensions aren't the they can work but there's uh, caveats to it i would actually add one more little thing to this actually with usb cables if i remember correctly the 12 volt line that runs through the um, usb cables if you're doing power like that tend to be actually slightly thicker whereas if you're using cat 5 cat 6 or whatever you're using the thickness of the copper wiring is exactly the same and it has no preference so you can cause yourself a slight problem there from going from a thicker gauge down to a thin gauge back up to a thicker gauge you're going to cause resistance and that thing's going to heat up really badly um another thing on here so am i understanding this correct that if i have a 240 uh watt hour battery on 12 volt it's in essence a 20 amp hour battery and that when i set up my uh setup draws three amps i have a battery usage of under seven hours oh okay um hold on a second uh watts amps volts there is a website called rapid tables let's see if i can find it real fast Uh, what happened to that website? Uh oh, don't tell me it's gone now. Rapid table. Aha, here it is. Can I do a screen share again for a moment? Yeah, you should have it. Uh, oops, no thanks. Okay, screen three. Nope, screen two. Okay. DC. So let's go back, look at this. So he's got um, 12 Two. volts. And how many watts is he trying to do? 240 calculate. 
20 amps. Okay, so this is the fun one. You get 20 amp hours and it draws 3 amps. This is like, uh, I have a battery the usage of just under 7 hours, so let's work it out. By the way, I, I do this sometimes when I'm sitting at work and it, it just, there's something weird about it that I just enjoy doing this for some weird, weird reason. You actually get 6.6 .6 hours is the actual answer. So yes, if you're pulling 3 amps on a 240 watt hour battery, you actually get around about 6.6 .6 hours, which is, we'll so, just uh, say is 7 hours. So yeah, yes, that summer, is correct. A summer night essentially is all you're going to get out of that set out of that yes. battery. So <clears throat> pretty pretty much. Um, oh, actually, I, just before I stop sharing, let me just uh, so you guys can see this. What the website is, Rapid Tables. Um, you go into one of the the calculators. Just ignore the fact that it says power is just in watts. It's just watt hours is the same thing. Type in the voltage. Type in the watts, uh, and then it gives you how many uh, amps that it will run at. Uh, milliamps you can just kind of ignore that it's just times that by a thousand or something like that and it gives you milliamps and then you divide whatever that is with whatever your amperage draw actually is and that gives you what this is so again rapid tables i love going there's a link this. in the chat for you guys if you're looking for it yeah i love going through this for some weird reason it just that's uh, important though because it, it i think and i've obviously do a bunch of hobbies um astronomy of course is the career but you know obviously fish tanks and stuff you know when you buy a filter for your fish tank it's going to tell you that this pump you know has this amount of flow blah 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 but when you read the details about a lot of that it's at you know a level height it's not talking about how far it's got to move the water up into the tank where a lot of these batteries, it's the exact same thing. It's like, oh, it's 200 and blah, 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 blah. It's all these awesome specs by me. Um, but then when you actually reduce that into the modern world, when you're out in the field and you've got all your fun stuff plugged into it, you find out it's it's enough power to do what you want, but you're going to chew through that battery a lot faster than, you know, it lasts 20 hours. Yeah, if you're charging your phone or, you know, something basic on it, but in astronomy and we haven't even talked about how the cold weather can also affect a battery's performance as well so you got to pay attention to that um uh simon there's another question here other than car batteries and cheap uh nipb and nicd batteries um are there any other things the beginning astrophotographer has to avoid when it comes to power that's a good question wow where do we start on this one um uh, the first thing I would probably recommend is don't go on to some forum website or Facebook group and buy everything that every other person on earth uh, gets at once. Like you need this and this and this and then throw it all on your mount and then expect you to understand or, you know, all this to just work together. Um, they can work together, but if you throw too many things like your guider and I had a lot of people do this when like the EQ6R came out. They bought these power boxes, these hubs, and you know they would plug in their AC adapter into the hub, and then they'd route their EQ6 up to the mount, and they plug their guider into that, and then their camera, and then you know, God forbid, it's you know something else like a, a heater, then you're, and then they call us saying the the mount doesn't work. It's our fault. We need to replace the mount, when in fact. It wasn't the mount. It's just the mount was starving for power. So usually if I've got, if you've got these power boxes, these power boxes or even like an ASI Air and stuff like that, they're not really personally uh, intended to run the mount. They ride on the telescope. They're made there for cable management for your imaging hardware that rides on the scope as it moves around. Your power from your mount goes down. It's not why route it up yes i guess it's kind of convenient that you can remotely turn it off but usually you're right there um i would not recommend buying a bunch of stuff plugging a bunch of stuff in and then being like why doesn't it work add one piece of equipment at a time and learn it so that way when there is an issue that occurs 
you know where the issue is because it makes it really difficult if you call us up or anybody else and you need support for something and it's just like this has a problem there's a million things we have to go down on this checklist to isolate where the issue is so if you can take it step at a time and when something changes you know where the change occurred rather than just i bought all this stuff i put it all together because someone told me so and now something doesn't work so um but be careful with buying these hubs and if you are buying these hubs i would really recommend just routing you know your camera your imaging stuff route that to the hub and have one nice usb going to your computer or whatever but don't run the mount off of these hubs personally yeah i probably would agree with that too so loosely speaking is just to have a direct power source for just the mount only yes um to see this is the problem is is like having a beginner and where do they start with all the power because that's always one of these big problems is it depends on where you are if if you're if you're working from home you're going to have access to ac power um for all lack of purpose uh, or intent purpose is you've got infinite amount of electricity coming from all different sources if you're out on the field on the other hand that's where the fun starts so you have to bring a battery with you how long is that battery going to last how many things is that thing going to actually power and practicality would dictate that i'm not exactly going to drag two batteries with me to power all my accessories and the mount by itself so i'd rather have one self-contained unit that's why these people like these power boxes to try and power the mount but to save yourself the headache and and it's actually saving money in the short uh, in the long term not necessarily the short term if you buy say one of the smaller power packs um and it doesn't matter who makes it celestron or whoever uh the smaller power packs they can actually power the mount pretty much all night and then another battery can power all the other accessories mm -hmm. this is why i actually like the power stations they're built for that exact purpose is to actually provide power for all of these things uh, and it doesn't care how it does it it's it's all regulated power one way or another yep um so i'm just checking for time no we got some time uh rule of thumb never run a mount in a dew heater off the same battery yeah it, that's not a good idea the actual dew heater um depending on how much voltage it's going to pull is going to affect the battery's performance let's just say your dew heater decides to turn on at full blast at 12 volts it means that <laughs> Whatever it supplies the mount is not going to be 12 volts, I can tell you that much. And then what it's going to end up doing is yanking more amperage through. So let's just say it's 9 volts going to the mount, 12 volts of the dew heater. Now the mount is going to literally tear through amperage like you wouldn't believe it, or current, whichever way you want to refer to it. And if you have a part that is not rated for higher amperage, it will blow up. And we've seen that happen with the, the mounts. A lot of EQ6 owners damage their mount. Um, our mounts are designed obviously to work with the power that they need to, but they're not happy when they go low, um, on power. So if you have a dew heater and all of a sudden it, you know, kicks on and it's pulling and you've got everything routed through this one hub system, the mount's going to be the biggest fighter for the rest of that, uh, energy. And I've had a lot of people, a lot of people damage motor boards because of that and it's it can be hard to source where the damage came from because they're just like well it was working fine and then this happened it's it's hard to figure that out but just run your mount off of its own power supply if you're going in the field welcome to the hobby i never said it was convenient it's just run just have another battery yeah it costs money but you can get like simon was saying you can get one of these like celestron power tank lithium pros that you know 200 bucks strap it to the leg that's the mount's little happy thing that's all the mount cares about is its little battery that sits on the leg and it doesn't go anywhere then take your big hunking thing that runs everything else and let it do its thing but you might need two batteries um Actually, let me just butt in real quickly. Uh, Paul Andrews made a really good point about the seven-hour question, remembering that uh, lead-acid batteries should not be discharged below 50%. If you're following this carefully, if you buy anything but a car battery, you'll find that they're not going to be lead-acid in general. If you actually get the toy batteries, they're actually nickel-cadmium batteries. 
you can run those suckers below 50%, believe it or not, and they will charge right back up just like you would expect them to because they're designed for low discharge. Same with AGM, you can run them below 50%. It's lead acid batteries from a car, you cannot run below 50%. Just avoid lead-acid batteries. Is Especially because someone was uh, mentioning how uh, cold affects batteries. Um, they do. Okay, anything that contains liquid inside of the battery is heavily affected by the cold. If it's a gel cell battery, not so much. And that's where lead-acid batteries become a major issue. Um, yep. I've gone through so many of these lead-acid batteries. Um, I don't use them anymore. Everything I have is uh, some form of you know, gel battery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll just, it's especially for those of you who live in the colder environments, you know, Simon and I thankfully aren't in that, uh, but it still will zap the battery down. Um, and then you're upset because you went to sleep and you woke up and your system has this, you know, it's shut down because the, just don't use a lead acid battery. There's, we have way better technology nowadays. There's a lot of good options out there. Yes, they're more expensive, but you know, got to pay to have the good stuff out there. And if you want your system to run clean and reliable, you have to invest into it. So, or just image from home. So with AC power. Uh, so you can see the chat there, but there's a couple, uh, what the Mac, what's the max amperage the human body can handle. I, I think I it's know. like less than an amp. Actually, you have one amp that goes through your heart. It'll stop it still. So, you know, I'm not going to turn around and say I was stupid, but I have electrocuted myself a few times on purpose just to see what happens. It's not fun. That's what, that's what these tests are for. But I actually am very specific because of the way I do things when I actually do do a, the electrocution thing. It's the way you ground yourself so you know it's not going to run through you and cross through your heart and kill you. Yeah, we want to get out and observe the night sky. We don't want a flat line. So. Uh, someone guiding mentioned... graph needs to be flatline. <laughs> yes, we're no, we're not even getting into guide logs. <laughs> That's a whole nother thing. Uh, when will we get into Kevin's fish tank episode? Um, that's a whole nother hobby. We can talk about it if you want, but it's it's downhill like astronomy is too. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, um, I think a lot of people are going to be coming up with this cold thing. We've got like two minutes left to answer this one, so. I will say this, if you can insulate your battery and your cabling, it, it will be the best thing that you can possibly do. A lot of times I've seen people just have bare batteries, just plonk them out uh, in the freezing cold weather. They will affect them. Even lithium ion batteries or any of those lithium based battery chemistries will still be affected by the cold. Ideally, insulate them if you can. Yeah, that's uh, wait, you want to they like to be snugly warm like we do. So yeah. just, you know. Most battery, Kevinism. Yeah. I never said it would be convenient. Yeah, astronomy. You know, when it comes to astronomy, everyone's like, I want it to be convenient. There's nothing convenient about this freaking hobby. You go out in the middle of the desert, sit out there, freeze your butt off, and stare at the sky. Like, there's nothing convenient about it at all. So, we do it because we like doing it. There's Convenient is not the word. Um, just enjoy it. And, yeah. But anyway... Um, Unless you guys have any more questions out there, I hope it was helpful. I hope someone gets um, some um, ideas for it. Just be careful when you're plugging stuff in. Please watch the amperage, especially on these third-party power boxes. Um, I really recommend you don't plug your mount into it. Just run it off of its own thing. Um, and just really pay attention to those power box amperages. Um, you know, even an ASI Air, it says the amperage on there. So, you know, that's kind of where I would pay attention to it. For sure. All right, everybody. Thanks, for, uh, Simon, for hanging out with us. Um, if you want to follow him on Instagram, it's the Stupid Astronomer. He's got all kinds of cool stuff on there. Um, if they need to, for whatever reason, get in touch with you, is there a good way to do so? Uh, probably just by Instagram, Simon2940. Um, on Instagram be the there easiest way alright guys uh, thanks for hanging out with us special thanks to Simon uh, for hanging out with us uh, next uh, Friday we have uh, Tom Fields is joining us he is the writer of RSpec which is a uh, spectral analysis software for doing spectroscopy with your telescope he is the man of the light 
Um, so he'll be on here to tell us all about his cool software and how you can get started doing spectral work. I know we kind of talked about it in our scientific episode a little while ago, but we're going to get a crash course in it. So if you're interested in doing science and understanding how that all works, Tom's the guy. Um, Simon, thank you very much for hanging out with us this morning. No problem. Um, and the rest of you have a great weekend and clear skies, and we will see you next Friday. See ya.